0: At gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode.
1: I'm glad to God has brought me through what God has taught. We're all part, we're all products, I should say, of our environment, of our background, of our education, of those who have influenced us. And I'm grateful when God has put people in my path that has helped me and and there's been watershed moments in my life that the Lord's used that I don't ever want to get over, and I don't want to lose sight of those men. Think of Brother Woven; God used him, and being with him in, in his church, and Brother Folger and his dad were key people in helping me. And and um, I, I I just I thank God for that. And I enjoyed our time in evangelism. I I I just I was thrilled to watch God work, but um, some. Have questioned, did we get out of evangelism because the meetings dried up? And they didn't. They just, they never dried up. My policy was I never called or asked or solicited a meeting, and, and God kept us full. And some suggested, maybe my wife got tired of it. My wife would go back on the road today if, if she could. Um, four weeks after being there as a pastor, she said, I've shaken, I've shook these people's hands more than I need to shake them. Do you think it's time to go? I said, no, I think we need to stay a little bit longer. <laughs> And uh, she would rather be on the road. And it was because of what we saw God do. But what happened for me was, again, I'm a product of what what I've been taught, and and like we all are, good and bad. But I would have declared that what I was was more significant than God's church. And I, I viewed my role as being, that's the primary thing. And God began to help me to see there's really nothing bigger than his church, and can't get any bigger than the local church, and, and I began to fall in love with God's program, and, and when that happened, I began to feel like on the road, I was just more of a special speaker, and, and I thought there's, there's too much going on than and just being a special speaker, and, and long story short, I thought I would just come off the road uh, more and be at home church more and be involved, in. And um but then more as time um progressed God directed us into the pastor and, and I thought I, I can I can do this. Pastor preaches, evangelist preaches, I can at least I can wing that part. But I didn't realize that, that not even that was the same. There are no similarities to what I was doing in evangelism, to what I'm doing as a pastor. None. I mean none. There are no similarities. Not even the coffee tastes the same. Nothing is the same <laughs> at all. And um and so I, 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 it's the hardest thing, the hardest thing I've ever done, but I know absolutely this is what God wants, and I love it. I love every aspect of it, and, um, but I, I just thank the Lord for how He used people to help me see things that maybe, I, I know I, I didn't think right about it, or, but I was sincere, and, and I realized if it did, if there were not men who cared enough to challenge my thinking but also care enough to love me through, thinking it through, I wouldn't be here today. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't be in the right position today on God's word and God's institution called the church. So I say thank you um, to, to the Lord and thank you to the men and who have been a help and blessing. Well, this is a fellowship, and I, I, I like these. We don't have the strength... Um, Of this kind of a fellowship in in our area, we've got lots of little ones, and the reason we have lots of little ones is because mm, they don't want to be together as far as having a bigger one. I came across a recipe for fellowshipping with only yourself. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else. Confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat, and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. That's a good recipe for fellowshipping with only yourself. I am thankful that we can be independent, but I do see the need for being interdependent upon each other and uh, without violating our consciences or hurting God's call upon our life. In Hebrews chapter number 10, we have these familiar verses, and and, um, let's stand together here for just a moment and look at these very familiar verses that probably most have preached from. Notice in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for He is faithful, that promised. I want to focus on this verse this morning, and let us consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. How different our fellowship and this fellowship might be from having this kind of a description. And as we focus on our ultimate area of fellowship, that is our fellowship with God and then our fellowship with each other, may we begin to see and recognize the kind of culture, the kind of fellowship that we can have and ought to have. Ultimately, our fellowship needs to be with God. J. Oswald Sanders said, a growing oneness of viewpoint and action is how we fellowship with God. But if we take that same dynamic and we apply it to each other, we can have a very strong fellowship. And Ohio can, uh, can uh, be going forward, and the best days here would be the rest of the days because of God's people doing something what we ought to be doing in our churches, but even outside to the other shepherds and those that you're partnering with, and that is considering one another. Let's just talk about that a few moments. Consider one another. Thank you. Please be seated. We're challenged in these verses to let us draw near. And let us stay near, hold fast. And then let us consider one another. And verse 24 is tied to verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But I do believe that we can still take this matter of considering one another and apply it to this endeavor here this morning consider speaks of attentive and continuous care this is to take careful note of each other's spiritual warfare the purpose of this attentive and continuous care is to provoke each other to exercise love and good works and again as I mentioned I'm grateful that there were men that that sought to provoke not uh, become antagonistic not trying to just get their agenda across, but there's a far bigger uh, view here, and it's it's the matter of trying to get people to be stirred and helped so that they can exercise love and good works themselves, and it's in the form here he mentions in verse 25 in that assembling what we long to see taking place in our churches, and that is this matter of exhortation. It takes the form of encouragement and comfort and warning and strengthening. But if we want to see this done, I think in our churches, I think we ought to be wanting to see it done in other churches by, by helping a brother and encouraging a brother. If you receive the Baptist Times, one of the more recent ones, Pastor Hardy mentioned something in there that he's mentioned many times over the years, and it's a quote by Peter Drucker. Who points out culture eats strategy for breakfast? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And talking about there in the corporate mindset that it is essential for a company's overall health and competitiveness to have more than just strategy and steps and and we can have a, a vision and have a, a vision theme for the year. And just putting that on a poster, it doesn't quite change lives. And putting it into the bulletin doesn't translate into making a difference. And so he's saying strategy is not the, the most important thing as having it in one's DNA and having it in the culture. Having the wrong culture undermines the best laid program and strategies in development. And so I want to talk about this matter of, of the culture of consideration. If we're going to have a culture That is, the DNA is that of considering one another, to provoke one another to love and to good works. We mentioned three things, really going to just hit two and mention a third one, but the first one, I believe it is just built in. We can't miss it. No one would miss it, but I think it's worth us being reminded of, and that is, if I'm going to have a culture of considering one another, it is found only, it is Discovered only in my intimacy with God. A culture of considering one another is only as effective as your intimacy with God. He just told us, draw near. And then he says, stay near. Draw near in verse 22. Let us hold fast in verse 23. And then we're able to consider one another in verse 24. What we need, as Henry Blackaby would so often say, is fresh encounters with God. How did your meeting go with God this morning? We try to help our children, eight and six and five, um, to to understand. Each night when they go to bed, we're, we're helping them with their clocks and and um, helping them in the morning and I love the way my wife says it to them she says Jesus will be waiting on you in the morning fresh encounters with God the deepest need of the human heart is an encounter with God every one of us face needs some in here may be facing some physical needs others are social maybe emotional but spiritual needs spiritual needs are the most important needs and they can only be met by God. Only God Himself can satisfy the desires and the longings and, and He does so on His own terms. What people need in addition to good sound information about God in the Scripture, and what we need more than a good outline and a good exposition, we need a fresh encounter with God. That's what I need. I know when when I'm focused on a principle and a doctrine and, and, uh, and, and I, I see it and I get a hold of it, but I need to be able to move from an encounter with a principle and an encounter with a doctrine to uh, I, I having this Bible application and move from that to experiencing the God who wrote it. Just as in Bible times, being in the presence of the living God is an awesome experience. To stand before Him is to stand before the one who created the universe with only the sound of His voice. Meeting with God is life-changing. Everyday encounters are part of His plan. No one can ever leave His presence and remain the same. We, we've, we've talked about and heard about the, the priests that would go in and standing there in the Holy of holies and have that special occasion in which he goes in, and we've we've discussed the matter of on his garment the bells and and then the rope tied around his ankle, and so that if the bells cease jingling and jangling, then we know that something didn't go right, something went awry, and then they could pull him out of there and and we'd often think about how fearful and dreadful that would be. And, and you don't want to go in in the wrong way if you were in the Old Testament priest there. And, but then I began to think about why would we only have to be pulled out if something went wrong? Would there ever be a hunger and a thirst that if you could only get into his presence one time a year? That maybe if you were that man, you wouldn't want to come out. I would want to hunger and thirst for God so much that I would have to tell him, you put a rope around my ankle because you're going to have to drag me out of there. And yet we get the privilege to be in the presence of God anytime and all the time and every time, but we're so calloused about it and we're so uh, complacent about it. Here's what happens. So many times we get hung up on a diet of what we're supposed to be doing, what I can do, what I can't do, and we become divided, we become isolated, we become uh, captivated with what we're to do, and we fail to encounter God. I believe God is all about initiating encounters with us, not in order to give us a warm devotional thought, but to forever transform our lives on a regular basis. As He reveals His will to us, we're compelled to adjust our lives to His activity and join Him in His work. It's it's so vital. This is so vital. If we desire to consider one another, and I believe we do have a responsibility to each other, then we must desperately understand this. Our lives are being surrounded and saturated by values and standards and viewpoints that are contrary to the Scriptures on a regular basis and they leave us disoriented to a holy God. However, every time we open God's Word, we have an opportunity to experience a dramatic encounter with the living God that will shake us and change and clean our thinking. That's why we need fresh encounters with God. and that's why we must seek these fresh encounters with God. We must approach God's Word with hearts that are willing to obey whatever He says. and when we reverently and we expectantly approach the Scriptures, God's ready and waiting to transform us by His words. And the truth again is, we'll never be the same. And so if we're going to have a culture of considering one another, it is entirely based upon, saturated by my intimacy with God. But here's a second thought. A a culture of considering one another, I believe, is wrapped up in my identity. It's wrapped up in my identity. In other words, we can sit here and say, I am so busy. I'm so busy with what I've got, what I have to deal with, I really don't want to have to deal with somebody else. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, that can carry over into the very rim that we know we're supposed to be dealing with, our ministries, but what about even our homes? So I, I do think from time to time, and maybe more time than less time, I need to go back as to my identity. Let me ask you this way. Are you living for a title or are you living to fulfill your identity when you surrendered what did you surrender to there's a lot of emphasis and and I'm not here to debate the theology of it I just think sometimes there's a short sightedness when we call for surrender to preach a surrender to missions a surrender to pastoring because sometimes if we're not careful we can cause and create in somebody's minds that you're surrendering to something. When if we can get somebody to surrender to someone whose name is Jesus and leave it up to him, it changes everything. What is our identity? What was it that James said in James chapter 1 just preached and finished the book of James and I thought it was so interesting that James opens up in the first verse, and you have to do a little bit of studying to figure out which James this would be. James opens up the Word of God in his letter in verse 1. James, the son of Mary. No, he doesn't mention that. James, the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't mention that. He does say, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about the writers of the New Testament that we preach from, that we quote, that we admire. We want to be like them. We want to have a ministry like Peter and Paul and We want to have this, but how often do we consider how often, I wonder if Bible college students sitting in the class, directed towards the ministry, sit and think about everyone that we hear preached from, preached by these books, every one of them were tortured, suffered, most all died as a martyr. Would we still say, sign me up? Are we living to fulfill a title? My activity is what? Should be serving. Just recently read, you can tell whether or not you really are a servant by how you respond when you're treated like one. Are you about serving or are you about being served? Servanthood means that all I have and all I am are placed at God's disposal. And all that I have and all that I am, God will use to help bring somebody else to God's disposal. Servanthood is not about how I add value to my life, but how I can add value to your life. The world will ask how many people work for you, but the Lord is asking how many people do you work for? And Jesus, we're told, came to not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Mark 10, 45. I remind our staff on, on occasions when they start to complain a little bit about something that didn't quite go meet their expectation, we'll just simply say 10, 45. Remind them that you're not here to be ministered unto, but you're here to be Ministering, And I think in order for us to get back to being a servant and serving, we've got to be reminded of this very basic kindergarten level concept that Jesus put into motion when he says, if you're going to be my disciple, here's what you've got to do. Deny yourself. That just goes against the grain just right there. Deny yourself. Our motivation for investment in ministry should not be our benefit, but our motivation should be that of contributing, making a difference for the kingdom, for for the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus served. He served a Peter that denied him, a Thomas that doubted him. He served a Judas that deceived him, and all the rest, they deserted him. And yet Jesus served him. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Judas. A few chapters later, the feet of Jesus, the feet wounded by the sinner. But who washed Jesus' feet? When God looks for a man, I think He looks for one that is not gifted and talented and has ability because God has all that and more. When God looks for a man, He doesn't look for someone that has it all together because God has it all together. When God looks for a man, I think he's looking for nobody from nowhere with nothing. Because there's where God gets the glory. Remember, God comes along and he looks for a man to deliver the nation of Israel. And and Moses was like that that schoolboy out there on the playground. And he says, pick me. I can do this. He understood the Egyptians. He understood the Hebrews. And Pick me. And I believe God wanted to use Moses. And Hebrews 12 tells us that Moses turned his back on everything to suffer reproach of the people of God except one thing. He didn't turn his back on Moses. And so God puts him on the backside of a desert to learn that he's a nobody from nowhere with nothing. When God says, now it's time, Moses says, I'm not, I'm, not I'm not able to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Well, he only learned part of the equation. The truth is none of us can, but the reality is God can. God can. We've got to recognize we're servants to serve. You say, what does this have to do with considering one another? Everything. In order to add value to anyone, we're going to have to recognize that this matter of self is going to rob us of that ability. We cannot look to add value to any person, any other individual, provoking one another to love and to good works as long as we're overwhelmed with our own insecurity. Watchman Nee says God tends not to use a man till he's in his 40s. In his 20s, he thinks he knows everything. In his 30s, he's making all of his mistakes, and in his 40s, he figures out and God's right and he's not. But I want to say if we just get back into the presence of God and have some encounters with God and figure out who we are just like James I'm a servant of God I'm here to serve wherever he puts me that's his business then we don't have to wait till later on in life let me ask you who do you want people to see Do you want them to see you or do you want them to see the miracle working God absolutely confident in the power of of, of God and 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 do you want people to see that and, and that the Bible works I see all the time, and you do too, people are looking for the the, the next greatest methodology. Why? Because they're not convinced of the power of God. I'm not about rejecting something because it's new or creative, but I I am saying that we need to, if we're going to make a difference and have this culture of considering one another, we're going to have to be convinced in our intimacy with God who he is, and embracing and ensuring that the methodologies we do use, that they are timeless, they are biblical, they are proven. If if God can use it, uh, 2,000 years ago, God is able to use it now. We don't have to come up with something new just for the sake of new. We need to hold fast. That's what he says in verse number 23. Hold fast. There needs to be a commitment to that which is honoring to God. I'm also not advocating that this fellowship or any fellowship or a bunch of older preachers simply tell younger preachers, here's what you ought to do. But I am suggesting that you challenge, and in a culture of considering one another, that you do challenge how to think. It's a help. We live inundated with what to think because we said so. And there's a place for some of that when somebody doesn't know in their infancy and immaturity. But but if we have a Bible and we have a God who is the God of the impossible, then let's challenge people with God's mind and the Bible uh, principles and Bible truth as to how to think. We have our culture changing so fast, so fast. And if we're not about creating a culture where we're committed and purposeful to that which is truly timeless, and we do it on purpose, then by default, we're going to adjust and change as well. Hold fast, steadfast in your commitment to a biblical process with confidence that it will produce the right product. Don't cut corners. Holding fast. It's a commitment to representing a kingdom, to a culture that needs to know what Paul told Timothy. That if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. We do need to be reminded that our culture, it reflects constant change but the church of the living god ought to reflect the god who changes not. We want to represent to a changing culture so, culture something that is eternal. God's culture is different than man's culture. The trendy should never determine and shape the timeless kingdom of god as Wayne Hardy has said so many times. You know casual and the sloppy it's it is it is what is going on today. And I, and I tell you that the ones who complain the most about the ties are the ones who are, um, who, who are not convinced that God is who he is. I don't have power because I wear a tie and I'm going to get more power if I take the tie off. And the fact that we're stuck on the diet, we've missed what made Daniel so effective. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and he was talking about the the matter of the portion of the king's meat and wine and we can get caught up with the diet but we got to remember that it wasn't his diet that made all the difference. It was more than a diet. It was his encounter and his relationship with God and out of his convincement of who God is he was convinced. He wasn't throwing it out there and see and crossing his fingers and holding his breath. No, he said this is going to happen. You you just put it to the test and see and here's what's going to happen And, and it's because he was confident of what God would do in a culture that was not surrounded by people who would consider Daniel and encourage Daniel and help Daniel but that intimacy with God allowed him to be able to have confidence, and his diet flowed out of that. I'm saying we all have to have a diet. We all have to have rules and standards and regulations, and, but shouldn't it reflect our confidence in the God that has come to change people's lives? Methods do matter. If we're going to consider one another, methods do matter. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, I made a determination how I'm going to come to you. I can come to you in one of two ways. I can come to you with enticements or I can come to you in demonstration of the Spirit's power. You can't say methods don't matter. They do. And Paul says why? Because the method you depend upon determines the people's where the people's confidence will be placed. And so if... if Paul would have done like many people do, boy, I tell you, if we can just get these lights, these lights, they will really help the mood. And I'm all for aesthetics. I'm all for excellence. I'm all for doing whatever, and and that's going to make it look nice and beautiful. But if that's where our dependence lies, and that's going to be, that PowerPoint, that slide that I'm going to use, that's really going to drive it home. Is that where our dependence lies? If so, that's where the people are going to learn to put their dependence as well. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. I'm telling you, it is going to hurt our culture of considering one another to provoke them to love and to good works if we're not convinced that the power, all the power we need is found in the spirit of the living God. The method you depend upon determines where your people's confidence will be placed. I'll tell you, enticements, as Paul mentioned, they are easier. Because I can borrow enticements. But you have to cu- cultivate your relationship to access the power of God. But we'd much rather just borrow Enticements. one last thought and just mention I do believe that a culture of considering one another. It is found in keeping the focus and and urgency upon the reality that Jesus is coming again, verse 25. And I love the, the emphasis that the Bible gives us concerning the coming of Jesus. It's never this matter of well, it's hard here. Just hold on, however. Jesus is coming again. Just hold on. No, it's not a matter of just hold on. It's a matter of Jesus is coming. And, and, and he's, it's not just an escape route, but he's come the first time to give us life and to give us abundant life. And when we sing the song, it ought to be true. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And we ought to be having the time of our life. I mean, these last 2,000 years to be a part of this, this wonderful institution called the Church of the Living God. And there's no greater time to live. The Holy Spirit has not been retrieved and Jesus has not yet come, but He is coming. And there's a time when this will run out. Either we will expire or He will come. And the motivation not, not to be just hold on, the ship is sinking, hold on. No, we've been we're a part of and we've been given the promise. The gates of hell, the authority of hell is not going to prevail against the church. And so we ought to be motivated and stirred to press on and to do more for Him. The cause of Christ is all important. And may it help shape us in in my life, back at home, and in your lives, and in this great fellowship, that you would have a culture of truly considering one another to love and to good works. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank You for Bible truth and thank You that we can be a part of being challenged and encouraged and helped and stirred and provoked. And, and I think maybe somebody, maybe today, and I don't know everyone here, but, but I do know of times when I was in these meetings and I, I, I didn't even know what questions to ask. But I knew I needed something. I needed somebody. Ultimately, you're the answer, but you have chosen to work in our lives through people. I'm thankful and grateful for the men of God that stepped in, was willing to, even at the expense and sake of their own time and own ministry, of their own churches, they invested energy into me. Help me to be a good steward of that for the remainder of my life. And I pray that you stir within each man here. Even those that may be thinking, I'm not very high on on that ministry totem pole. May we again get back to who we are. We're servants. And you long to use, I believe it's your criteria that you use. Nobody's from nowhere with nothing because you're everything that we need. Lord, I just want to say I love you. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Take a
0: time and pray before we move on. I think that would honor God. So if you want to come to this altar, she's going to play something. But if you want to come to the altar, kneel down there. But let's let's commit this to the Lord. I know the Lord spoke to my heart. Let's pray. Let's pray. You can you can come to the altar wherever you want to pray. But let's pray about this. Father, it's so true that in our lives so many times we can get stuck on titles and positions and places that you've given us when you just called us to simply be your servant. I love what you just showed us about your servant James, that he was just simply your servant. He didn't title himself. He was just your servant. Help us to be like that. I pray that you would continue to develop in our hearts a, a hunger just to do exactly as you've taught us today and that in our our churches, and even with one another, that you would develop this culture of considering one another. You've told us to do that until we see you come back, and we look forward to that day. And Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done already. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. And uh, I'm not certain that I, I have a man that I want you all to meet. In fact, uh, if Mr. Gibbons is out in the lobby, if you just come on in, if someone show him in. Uh, Mike Gibbons is, going to be, is running for uh, uh, United States Senate, and uh, he's one of the, the, uh, the runners. And so I wanted you, during this break time, just to meet and greet with him. And uh, uh, Mr. Gibbons, if you just come on up here for, for a moment. Um, the guys will be out in the lobby drinking coffee. Good things happen around coffee, okay? But uh, we're glad. Thank you for coming over today. Thank you for having me. Yes, and uh, so he is. He is running um, for Senate. So I want you to to meet him. One of our jobs, and I'll, I'll mention this in a little bit, um, at Faith Wins, uh, really just trying to to encourage um, pastors to meet.